You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to the light, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Usually about now, maybe at Christmas time or some other service, we would light a candle. And we'd see how much this one little flame can, can flicker and begin to light up the darkness and then use that as the analogy of what John is talking about, of Jesus coming into the darkness, the light entering our darkness. But I don't know about you, this to me just feels a little bit weak for a comparison of the Son of God entering into our world, into our darkness. I think it was probably a little bit more like this. This is what I think John is talking about when he talks about the light coming into the darkness. And I'll do my best not to shine this in your faces because I read the instructions on this and it said don't shine it into people's faces. Uh, So I'll try not to do that this morning. But this right here is the No Cry 900 Lumen uh, handheld light cannon. Not a flashlight, not a spotlight, but a light cannon, and it's waterproof. So uh, what this does is takes any of your darkness and turns it into daytime. Now, I don't think you should have to ask why I have a light like this, uh, but I'll tell you how I first came across a light like this uh, was when I was in college. When I was in college, me and some buddies one night, we were at Walmart looking around the, uh, the like fishing and hunting section, and we were looking at all the guns behind the glass, and then we noticed behind the glass a flashlight. And we're like, well, what is that doing behind the glass? We're like, oh, this light is so powerful. You know, we think it needs to be locked up. And we're like, well, we have to have it. And so me and my buddies, we bought this light. And then we go back to our campus where, of course, we had school and things and just tend to get into a little bit of trouble and some shenanigans. And we took this light with us. And what we would do is we would go at nighttime and we'd sneak up in our dorm room windows. We're on the third floor. And we would find people like out on the Oval or out at King somewhere. And we would just, boom, hit them with the light. And they don't know what is happening, right? Like there was one particular fact that I I almost, uh, my life was threatened over this one, but uh, we found one guy who was getting cozy with his girlfriend or his date for the night on a bench, and we waited, and then just boom, like lit them up, and he was furious. He found where my room was. Like, he came up, found my room, knocked on the door. We made the mistake of opening the door and uh, then allowing him to argue and threaten us, and then we promised we'll never do this again, and of course, then we just switched rooms locked the door this time, waited for him to get back on his cozy bench, and whammo, like got him again, and then just giggled like little girls. But, and, and this is what we did. We would find people that would be asleep at nighttime. We would go, and we would knock on their door. It'd be like 3 a.m., and we'd knock on their door until they would open it, and we'd have the light off, and then as soon as they'd open the door, wham, like we'd hit them. And I don't know if you've ever had, like, gone from daytime or nighttime to daytime at 3 in the morning. It is alarming. Like, people would just collapse. Like, they would just about, like, fall over. It's like you got to push them with the light as they were going and just totally disrupt their darkness, disrupt what is happening in their life that day. 
Now, I talk about this because uh, any of the students that might be in here tonight, they would know uh, that we have kind of a theme that we talk about. I'm going to see if we can use this as my spotlight this morning so that we're, how's that? Is that do I look really creepy in this light? This is what you got this morning. Sorry. Uh, the students know on Wednesday nights, we call our Wednesday night gathering disruption. And the idea is that we, we want to recognize that Jesus has disrupted our life and Jesus wants to use us to be a disruption in the lives of others. And so we talk about, like, we've, we've developed a formula. There's a formula to a good disruption and a light cannon can help, help that disruption. A good disruption takes a monotonous pattern, a boring monotonous pattern like a quiet classroom, and then a good disruption will break up that pattern by making a loud noise, say, dropping your book on the floor or doing who knows what. And then it refocuses the attention from what it was on, the monotonous pattern, to something else. So for me, growing up, I like to refocus the attention of a quiet classroom onto me, right? That's a good disruption. Well, we talk about this on Wednesday nights of how Jesus is a disruption in our lives and how Jesus broke up the monotonous pattern in our world of darkness, and Jesus came in and he shone a light in that darkness, disrupting all of history, disrupting what we knew of. And that is what John is talking about in this first chapter of his book. When he talks about how in the beginning Jesus was there, God was there, everything was made through Jesus. But then Jesus, the word, the light, he stepped into the darkness. He disrupted our darkness by bringing a light cannon into our dark world. And so we're going into a new series. This is going to be our series that leads us all the way up to Easter. And we're calling it Discover Jesus. And the idea is that each week we will gather together. We're going to look at different characteristics and aspects of who Jesus was and then ask the question, what does that mean for me? And today, of course, we're talking about how Jesus is the light. But in order to talk about the light, we have to first understand the darkness, and that's why everything this morning is dark. I know you can't see your Bibles as well. Uh, just do your best. If you're a note taker, I'm sorry, just do your best. If you're getting up later to go to the bathroom, just be really careful, okay? Just do your best. Uh, but we're going to spend some time this morning in darkness, talking about what that means. And so the first question I have is when we hear this line right here from John 1, verse 9, when it says, the true light was coming into the world, well, what did it come into? What was that darkness that Jesus entered into? And we have to look at this idea of biblical darkness. What is the Bible referring to when it talks about dark? Because we're not just talking about like a measurement of light or the lack thereof of how many lumens or candle watts there might be that that is darkness. What we're talking about is a different kind of darkness, not darkness that can be seen, but darkness that is felt. And I guess sometimes we see it. We see the, the actions of this darkness. We're talking about spiritual darkness. We're talking about the kind of darkness that when you're going through like a news feed and you see that one news headline that is just so dark that you don't even want to linger on it. And you're like, how could somebody do something like this? When you read that news story and hear about those kind of things, you hear about death tolls and mass shootings or in war and things like this. And we just ask these questions, how could this darkness exist? If you've ever had that friend who, who likes to tell those jokes that are just a little bit off and they tell that joke, and afterwards you don't quite know how to laugh, but you're just kind of uncomfortable, like, <laughs> but then you might say something like, that's, that's dark, right? Like, we understand that concept. I think that is the darkness that the Bible's talking about that Jesus entered into. And so I want to look at this idea of darkness, this idea that I think we all grasp, even if we can't always put words to it, this idea that darkness is evil, that there's a level of spiritual evil, and that this darkness is very present in our world, I think we understand that, but what does it do? 
And so I want to ask that question first off, is what does the darkness do? And I've got a couple of things that I think the darkness does that we can back up more, maybe not even as much from Scripture, but just from our life, from our experience. And the first thing is this, is that darkness disguises danger, okay? If you are walking in a dark area and you cannot see where you're going, there could be something dangerous there, like something you could bump into, which some of you are experiencing right now as you're trying to weather your way through this auditorium. Darkness hides danger. Early on when I started out as a youth pastor, I was working at a church that had pews, which I do not miss at all. They have a big wooden like bench seats. We had those and we were playing a game one time where we turned off all the lights in the church. And we let kids have their way in the church and just it was totally black. There was a kid that was down on all fours crawling through the sanctuary, like just as fast as he could, I guess. And he crawled smack dab into one of those wooden pews. And he comes down. Luckily, we had a nurse as one of our leaders because his nose was totally broken. And luckily, I didn't have to deal with it because I'd just be gone, like sight of blood. I'm, I'm out. I wouldn't be helpful. But the reason is, is it was dark and he was crawling very fast. He could not see the danger in the darkness Darkness disguises danger. And that was true. That can be true just in physical darkness, but I think even in spiritual darkness, living without Christ makes it harder for us to see what might be dangerous in our life. Living without Christ is going to be harder for us to know like what decisions to make and decisions that we should be able to see clearly. Well, now the wrong thing, it just kind of becomes like, oh, this, this must be the thing that I should do. We might open ourselves up to these life-wrecking decisions because we can't see the danger of that decision because our life is filled with darkness, and darkness disguises danger. Also, darkness, darkness destroys, or I'm sorry, darkness disorients our direction. So we know it destroys danger, or it, I'm sorry, it, I'm getting all my, look, all right, here's the deal. I, I came up with so many alliterations for this that it's ridiculous, and now I'm getting them all mixed up. But just hang with me, okay? We got a lot more D words to go, okay? So darkness disguises danger. Next point, you ready for this? Darkness disorients direction. Everybody with me on that? Darkness disorients direction. If you've ever been in a dark place, like maybe out in a field at night or just even in a room that's dark, and you're like feeling the wall, there is this back hallway here that I have to cut through a lot of Sundays, and it is totally dark, and we often have like just weird things sitting in the hallway, and you have to just feel the wall to know which direction you're going into and then hope you don't trip over something. There was a, another time we were playing a game out on this field, actually, with the youth group. We were playing Capture the Flag. Totally dark. Late and I were doing a camp out, and we had a kid that was just running full force. And what I don't know if he realized it, what many of you may not realize is that there is a creek out in the middle of the property. And it sits about like six to eight feet up off the ground. Like it's just a big ditch with water in it at the bottom. This kid was just booking it, playing capture the flag. And he like wily coyoted right off of that edge because he couldn't see it because he was disoriented. He didn't know where the creek was. It was dark. And he just, I think he took a couple steps midair and then splashed into the creek, lost his glasses, was furious about it. We all tried not to laugh, but we still laughed at him because darkness disorients our direction. When you're walking in a world, especially of spiritual darkness, it becomes hard to make the right decisions because we don't have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit with us to help us see this is what would be a decision for, for the light. This would be a decision for darkness. This would be a decision that could, could help you, help you prosper. This would be a decision that might destroy you because without the light, it is hard to decipher direction. So darkness disguises danger. It disorients our direction. And you ready for this? Darkness destroys delight. You're impressed, right? That's a lot of good D words, right? Darkness destroys delight. 
You might understand this just from this past season we have come out of, or we're slowly coming out of, of the winter, right? Next Sunday is time change, and we get a little bit of extra light somewhere. I think, I forget which one gives us more light and which doesn't. But you get to these hours in January and February, and it feels like you go to work when it's dark, you come home when it's dark. And you just find like the darkness and the grayness of the, of the rain that Bristol brings with it. You find this darkness just begins to like dampen your soul. It begins to destroy delight. And, and we find that seasonal affect disorder or SADS, what they sometimes call just seasonal depression, is a real thing, right? And, and some people, you know, will get these lamps and will we'll sit in these lamps, the sunlight, to get that vitamin D, like to fake us out and make us think we're in the sun. Because darkness destroys delight. You feel that. And spiritual darkness, I would say, especially destroys delight in a way that we don't even realize as we go on that we just haven't even experienced light in our life. Maybe because we don't know Jesus or maybe because we've not been spending time with him, we find ourselves struggling to find true delight in our dark world because darkness can destroy delight. I don't know what you're thinking right now. You're like, well, there's no way he's got any more points. That's three points, right? No more D words could be had. No, 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 no. Darkness distorts disposition, okay? Darkness will distort our disposition. It will distort our personality. It will warp us if we are in the darkness for long enough. Think of the Lord of the Rings. Think of Gollum, right? You guys know Gollum, like all big eyes and pale and creepy and eating fish, right? Like Gollum used to be a normal hobbit. That's what the book tells us, that early on he was a normal hobbit, eating six meals a day and gardening and just super happy. But then one day he found this instrument of evil, and that instrument, that ring, came into his life, and then he literally searches out darkness and hides in the depth of a mountain, and it changes him from that happy-go-lucky hobbit to some monster searching around for his precious, right? Darkness will distort our disposition. The same thing happens to us. People that spend too much time in the darkness or away from the light, it begins to just warp us a little bit. It begins to make it more difficult for us to see the right way to go, to, to see where there might be danger. I would say it makes it a little more difficult for us to be positive. We become cynical. We become very negative in life because darkness will distort our disposition. And so we see that darkness does all of these things to us, not just physical darkness, but spiritual darkness can wreak havoc on our lives so that we don't know which direction we're going. We don't know where is danger. We don't know how to be positive about things that we should be positive about. And the decisions are the things in this world that, that we should be able to just peg and say, that is evil. That would be wrong for me to participate in when there's so much darkness. We begin to look at these things that should be abhorrent to us and say, well, that's just, that's common. Or something that should just totally look evil to us and something we should avoid and say, well, let's, we're going to celebrate this evil. That's what darkness is. That's what darkness does. And that's what John tells us Jesus entered into when he said, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus brings light. For all of history, we were walking through darkness. Humanity was walking through darkness. You can read about it in the Bible from the first pages. Cain and Abel, one of them murders the other, and then the Bible is just filled with darkness from there after. You see it around us now, but at this moment in history, Jesus stepped in as the true light into our darkness, disrupting that pattern of sin and death and darkness. And so Jesus comes in, and John 9, 5, uh, he meets this, uh, this guy that was blind, okay? 
He meets this guy that was blind, and this guy's crying out to Jesus. Just imagine that darkness, right? Like, we sort of see some darkness in this auditorium this morning, but the darkness of being blind is a darkness most of us can't imagine. So this guy who's been blind from birth, he, he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus comes to him, and right before Jesus heals him, Jesus says this in John 9, 5, here, I'm sorry, in John 1, 9, nope, 9, 5. He says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That verse, which you may have heard, it's paired with this guy who was blind, and then Jesus heals him. And here's what's cool about it, too, is to heal him, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, mixes it up, wipes it on the guy's eyes. So the way Jesus probably said this, I think there's a good punctuation with it. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that was like his exclamation point on it. Then he starts mixing up mud. Next thing you know, a guy that was in pure darkness can now see. And there is light in his life. Jesus, the light, came into our dark world, and he starts healing people in that darkness. Later on, we see a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, and she's thrown at Jesus' feet to see how Jesus would react to her. And he looks around at everybody. He says, if you haven't sinned, then you pick up the first stone to throw at her, to execute her. And nobody can do it. They all start dropping their rocks. And then, of course, Jesus, the only one who didn't have sin, the only one who could have thrown a rock at her. Instead, he looks at her. He says, sin and, or go and sin no more. And then the very next verse, John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We see the light that this lady so desperately needed, maybe in a, in a cycle of self-destruction or in a, a cycle of just something terrible happening in her life. She needed that light. And then we see the light of forgiveness that Jesus would ultimately bring to us. We see over and over again through healings, Jesus bringing light to the darkness, through forgiveness, bringing light to the darkness, through feeding hungry people, bringing light to the darkness, through releasing people from demonic oppression, bringing light to the darkness. The people in the darkness of disease, Jesus brought light. To the people in the darkness of self-destruction, Jesus brought light. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus on earth bringing light to individuals and also to humanity. And then John 1.4 says this, as we keep working through that first chapter of John, he says, in him, in Jesus, was the life, and that life was the light of men. You see all the people Jesus interacted with getting this light of men. And then verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of your translations might say, comprehend it. The darkness doesn't understand it. In the Greek word, we could show how that kind of means both things, that at the same time it's saying Jesus wasn't overcome by the darkness, but also the people's minds, the, our world, couldn't grasp the light. That the darkness couldn't quite overcome with its mind the light. It couldn't grasp it. It couldn't grab it. And we see this here as, as Jesus walks around. What happens to Jesus as he's bringing this light into the world it's just like that person at 3 a.m. when you hit them with a spotlight. The world didn't know what to do with it. Their mind couldn't grasp it. And so the Pharisees were upset about this light shining in their eyes, and it didn't look like what they thought it should look because they had been in darkness for so long. And so they arrest Jesus. They bring false accusations towards him. They put him on a trial. They hand him over to death, and he is crucified on a criminal's cross. And then the light that came into our world went out. It says that, uh, that Jesus, that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
His own people, we could say, is the the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the people running Israel at the time. They didn't receive him, but also humanity. We didn't receive him. We rejected that light. And so on the cross, Jesus dies and the light goes out. Luke 23, 44 says, it was about the sixth hour, that is midday, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light faded. The light descended into the deepest darkness of death. And for three days, that seemed like that was the end of it, that that was where Jesus' followers would be, would be in that darkness. But then John tells us later on, John 1, 12, John tells us, or I'm sorry, Luke, uh, uh, I'm sorry, John 21, he points out that there's these ladies that go to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And he says, while it was still dark, they went to the tomb. And what do they find at the tomb? They find that the stone has been rolled away, that Jesus kicked open the doors of his own grave, and he walked out of true spiritual darkness and into light. And so for a moment, it looked like that light was extinguished forever, but then Jesus defeated the ultimate of darkness, defeated sin on the cross, and defeated death in the grave when he rose again to life, bringing light to all men. And so right here, we hear in this resurrection that now we can have a new form of light. That now this light isn't just left to one person, to Jesus. We can all be a part of the light. In John 1.12, it says, to all who did receive him, back to that first chapter of John, to all who did receive this light, didn't reject it, but who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Out of the darkness that hides danger, that can disorient us, that can depress us, that can destroy us, out of that darkness, now we get the opportunity to walk into light. Not just as people in the light, but people of the light, because we have been given the ability to be a child of God. John 12, 36, Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. If you become a believer in Christ, giving over your life, your sins to him, you now get to become a child of the light. You get to become a part of the light. You get to become a part of God's family. Light is now in you. You don't have to seek out light. You begin to shine that light. And so what that means is if we become a child of the light, if we become a child of God, well, now we have a new job, right? Now we take on the family business, which Jesus describes in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, set on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Do no people, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. With Jesus, not only can we chase away the darkness, not only can we see what light looks like, we get to become a part of the light. We get to have that light within us. And then our job is to now shine that light for other people who don't know what direction they're going in, who can't see the danger that is right ahead of them because they're in such darkness who are struggling to find real joy in their life because they don't know the companionship that comes with having a personal savior. The ones who just have slowly become warped because they've spent too much time in the darkness, our job is now to shine light for them the way that Jesus shone light for us. I found one analogy that just stuck with me for this. There's uh, my wife and I, we've been reading our kids every night 
um, from the Little House on the Prairie books. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. It started out because uh, like we read one about their Christmas time, and we kind of used it as a way to remind our children how fortunate they are, right? And we're like, oh, Laurie Ingalls only got a rag doll for Christmas. You got all this stuff, right? Um, but then as we slowly did it, I really got into these books. I've really been enjoying them because it really just looks at this, the life of people on the prairie, things you wouldn't imagine they would have to do. And there's this one scene, this one chapter where Pa, the dad, of course, played by Michael Landon on the TV show, uh, where he goes and he has to dig a well so that they can have water. And he calls a neighbor, Mr. Scott, in, and Mr. Scott is helping him dig this well. And as the well gets deeper and deeper, this pit that they're digging in the ocean, what Pa does every day before they go and work in it is he lowers a candle into that darkness. And it's all told through Laura Ingalls' eyes, a child. She doesn't know why he does this. And I don't know either. My kids are asking me, like, oh, I guess in case, like, a bear got stuck down in that pit, like, you don't want to fall in it. I thought maybe it was hiding danger in that way. But then we find out because one day Mr. Scott gets to work before Pa does, and he doesn't put the candle down in the pit first. And then Pa gets on the scene, and Mr. Scott has collapsed in the bottom of this pit. And so there's this whole panic scene where Pa and Ma have to get this guy up out of the pit and then they revive Mr. Scott, and everybody's okay, but then Mr. Scott is like, oh, I guess there is something to that candle that you lowered into the pit. And what we learn is the reason that Pa did that is because there could be pockets of gas, things like methane that would release and sink to the bottom of these pits. And if you were down in them, you couldn't see the danger, but if you breathed it, it would overcome you and you would collapse in that darkness. And so Pa, he would lower this candle, and if the candle could survive in that darkness, he'd know it was safe to breathe. And there's a quote that he gives where Laura asks him about it, and he says, where a light can't live, I know I can't. And I think that's, there's so much truth in that. Where there is no light, we're not going to be able to survive. And God saw this in our world, that there was darkness in our world. And so God sent his son to be a candle in the deepest depths of our pit. In that darkness, for a moment, it looked like it extinguished that candle. But you know what Pa does the next day? He takes a bundle of gunpowder with a huge fuse. He drops it down in the pit. He lights the fuse. That flame travels down to the gunpowder. It blows up in the bottom of the pit and dispels all of the toxic methane that was in the bottom of the pit. The light at that point pushes out all of the toxicity, all of the evil that was going to overcome life in that pit, which is exactly what Jesus did. He blew up sin out of our world so that we no longer have to experience it or experience the pain of its loneliness, the, the disorienting of the way it will disorient our direction, the danger that it brings to our life. We no longer have to experience that, but most of all, so that we don't have to experience the death that sin brings. And so my question today is this, will you invite that candle into your pit? Will you invite the light of Jesus into your, light, to your life to begin exposing the darkness that might be in corners you're not even aware of? Will you allow Jesus to be the light in your world, the light in your darkness? And if you have done that, if you have given your life and, and your sins over to him, how well are you doing on shining that light to others so that they don't have to be in darkness and in death? I want to end with this verse right here, these couple of verses in Ephesians 5. It says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and is right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, 
and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're going to move to communion now. And it's going to be a little tough just for the first part, again, because it's dark, right? We'll leave this spotlight on. I think some of you can make it. And at the communion tables, you're going to find the things we always have there, the elements of communion, the bread and, and the juice. And you can find a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. We invite you to then eat that. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross, his blood that was poured out for us on the cross to expel our darkness. Communion represents the light that Jesus brought into our world. And it doesn't just stay on the table. We don't take it and hang it up on our wall. We eat it. We take it inside of us, just as the light is to go inside of us and begin shining out from us. And so if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, we're going to invite you to these tables to take that light, to eat it, and recognize that that light now needs to shine out from you because of what Jesus has done to get rid of darkness in your life. Now you work to get rid of darkness in our world. And along with the communion on the tables, you're going to find we have a ton of lamps. And so as you get there, there's probably not a lamp for everybody, but there's a good bit of lamps. Just as you get to a table, as you're going around the room, if you find a lamp, switch it on so that you shine your way for other people to make their way to Jesus and to communion. Because that is our job as Christians. To do just as, the, as Paul said in Ephesians. To awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead so that Christ may shine on you, Christ may shine from you. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you saw our darkness, that you saw our pattern of destruction brought your light into it. And I thank you, God, that when we can't find our way, when we can't see danger clearly about us, when our perspective has been distorted, when our joy has been destroyed, that you enter into our darkness and give us your light. And so, God, as we approach the communion table, I pray, God, that we would see how you have brought light into our darkness and that we now begin shining that light for others. I pray for anybody this morning who walked in, maybe not realizing that there was darkness in their life, but now they just feel that tug on their heart. Let them know, God, that's your voice. That's your spark in their dark life, drawing them to you. That's your spirit speaking to them. And I pray, God, that you'd give them the courage to stand up and go back to our prayer room and talk to somebody about what it means to receive the light of Christ and become a follower of Jesus. For others of us, God, that do follow you, I pray now that as we go and we find a light in this room, it would be more than just flicking on a switch. It would be a commitment that we are making to say, I want to shine light in the darkness. It's in your name we pray.